Philippians 3 verses 1 to 14 to know him personally and that's about it friends be glad in God I don't mind repeating what I have written in earlier letters and I hope you don't mind hearing it again better safe than sorry so here goes Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances. Knife happy circumcisers, I call them. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it. Even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials, I mean, you know my pedigree, my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the, of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting Christians, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God, God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash. Along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought was so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it.
There's so much, isn't there, that we could be focusing on, especially this time of year when more people are applying for different jobs. And if you've done this yet, than at any other, diff- other time of the year, it seems to steer in us, doesn't it? Something uh, that, that hopes and longs for something different. We are planning holidays. How many people have already booked a holiday for this year and are hoping and praying that you can actually go this year? And we're thinking about habits that we want to start or, or hobbies that we want to start. And there's so much swimming around. And time and time again in the scriptures, there comes this phrase, one thing, one thing, one thing I know, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. And we're starting a series this morning that will run right through January and a little bit into February as well, looking at those essentials. What are the things that that we're called to focus on? What are those things which are really important and and foundational? And there's one in in this passage today that Linda kindly read uh, to us from the message translation. Uh, I just want to give you the last part of that again uh, from the the NIV. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I just thought it would be a great place for us to start the year today in Paul's passion. It strikes me that when you read Paul's writings, Paul writes with so much passion about Jesus, doesn't he? Now, there's so much in what he's saying that, you know, you can take a sentence of his, and we've done it, haven't we, and spend weeks studying it. I mean, who on the planet, there can't be many people that knew Christ as well as Paul knew him, but it wasn't enough, was it? I want to know him. And that know that he uses there in, in the Greek is, is to know personally, is to know on an intimate level. I, I want to know him as close as I can this side of meeting him in eternity, that, that passion. And I want to say to us that unless that's our passion as a church, what are we doing? What are we doing here if it's not to know Jesus and to let as many people in on, on knowing him as possible? That's got to be a, a foundational core passion, isn't it? What's the one thing I want to do this year? I want to know Jesus. I'm not content where I am. I'm not satisfied where I am. I want to know him more. I want to know him so well that in situations I I walk into where there's struggle or pain or suffering, I don't wonder what Jesus would do. I spent so long with him, I know what Jesus would do. I want to know him so well that when I face those situations which are too big or there are those headlines which hit us again and and rock us or those letters arrive from the bank or the doctor or the landlord and, and, and our world shakes, I want to know his words so well that when everything else shakes, there's one thing in me that holds. I want to know Jesus. Do you want to know him? Because he wants to know you and he wants you to know him in that way. The one thing. 
I don't know how many of you saw uh, I'm a Celebrity. Did people watch that this year? You're, you're safe to confess it here if you want to. Uh, we, we did. We watched it, not just because it was in Wales, but because we were locked down, so there wasn't much else to do. Uh, and uh, one of the contestants on it was called Kadina, uh, a Paralympian. Uh, and as we were watching, we were just impressed with her sort of character and uh, who she was. And, and, and Amy started Googling things about her and found out that she was a Christian. Uh, and one of the things that she wrote on, on Twitter was this. If I trained once a week for a few hours, I could never expect to be one of the best athletes in the world. So how can anyone expect to be a good, God-fearing Christian when you only go to church on Sunday? Or sorry, only go to church, open your Bible, and praise God on Sunday. And I love that sense of, of passion. That if I'm going to be serious about being an athlete, these are her words, not, not mine, you'll understand. If I'm serious about that, I can't train for a few hours once a week and hope to compete at that level. And if I'm serious about following Jesus, I can't wait till I feel like it. I can't wait till I'm prompted or reminded or inspired. I have to get serious about it. What if we approached the race of faith like athletes approached the Olympics, or in her case, the, the Paralympics? It's a big question, isn't it? And Paul borrows this language of the Olympics time and time again and, and, and of athletes in his writing. And this, this is one of the places where he does that, to say we've, we've got to persevere. We've got to press in. We've got to know him. I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Something interesting that happens uh, in this passage. Paul talks about the one thing that he does. Uh, it's two words in the Greek, one thing, but in this instance, it's just one word. One. It's literally the number one. It can also be translated as, as first. So Paul is talking about first things, number one things in his life. But then he actually goes on to mention two things. Uh, and I know ministers can be guilty of this. Preachers are often saying things like finally and then going on for another 20 minutes. We've all done it. Don't look at me. Uh, but uh, Portia mentions two things, not, not one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. So is it two things or is it one thing? I've been thinking about that this week. And I think it is it's one thing. It's really hard to strain towards what lies ahead if we're still carrying burdens and baggages that we should have laid behind. It's also really hard to forget what lies behind if we've got nowhere to go. You know, you could be freed, couldn't you, from, from something and just find yourself in a new place of meaninglessness and lostness. If we're not straining towards what lies ahead, then of course we're thinking about what lies behind. It's a little bit like when you start to drive a car, isn't it? And you have those lessons and they teach you weird stuff about which foot to press because that'll engage the clutch and then you have to move gear all while keeping your hand on the steering wheel and going in a straight line. It sounds like so much. And then eventually you just think, I need to change gear. It's one thing, but it's actually a few things at the same time. Uh, Paul talks about pressing on and that really is what this whole passage is about. So I want to land just on three things this morning on the importance of letting go, of laying hold, 
and then of leaning into. So we're going to zoom into one verse, and then quite unusually, I guess, we're going to zoom out and see the context uh, of it to, to finish with. So letting go, forgetting what is behind. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, either live or on, on, on TV, the, a, a rocket launch. Uh, we saw many failed attempts, didn't we, last year, as certain people tried to get rockets up into space for the new space tourism industry that we're told is just around the corner for the very wealthy or the very famous. Uh, but I, I love to watch them. They're exciting things. And, and there's these moments, aren't there, where the rocket that has launched these people up into space starts to break away. Uh, there's actually uh, three different parts to a rocket ship. There's the payload, which contains the passengers, the astronauts. That's actually the smallest part of the rocket. The lowest bit that gets them off the ground, uh, that, that leaves quite soon after. And once they've had enough propulsion to leave the Earth's gravitational pull, the, the Earth's atmosphere, there's another part that just falls away. And that must be an incredibly scary moment, you know, when your fuel your power suddenly just drops back and, and floats around the Earth. I guess there's loads of these things now, uh, just, just navigating their way around the, around the planet. But there's no turning back after this point. It's gone. And that's what Paul is, is talking about. Those things that I thought made me strong, made me safe, made me secure. Even for Paul, those things that I thought made me spiritually strong, made me spiritual. I just don't need them anymore. Just like a, a rocket separates the stuff that just gets too heavy for it. It wouldn't go further if it tried to carry all of that. So in our lives, spiritually, if you want to go deep into God, if you want to go far into the kingdom, there are things that you need to jettison, things that you just need to separate yourself from. And I know that's not easy. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes others, sometimes it takes prayer, sometimes it takes effort, sometimes it just takes focus. But for all of us today, as we read Paul's words about his experience, the challenge is for us, what do we need to jettison? What is it that's weighing us down, holding us back? Paul says, forgetting what is behind I wish we had the ability to forget, don't you? I wish there was some sort of magic marker that we could go through our, our memory banks and think that wasn't a pleasant conversation. We'll just, we'll just scrub that out. That wasn't my best day. We'll get rid of that. Or even more intrusive, that was an awful attitude. I wish I didn't have those thoughts about people, about situations, about myself. I wish we could forget, but we can't. The word that Paul uses here in the Greek to forget is, is deeply woven with the Hebrew understanding of forgetfulness. Uh, it actually means to overlook something or to neglect something. So often when you read in the Old Testament when people are crying out to God, saying, God, you've forgotten me, they don't literally mean that God has forgotten them, but they're talking about the pain of feeling overlooked uh, or neglected. And Paul says, that's what I'm trying to do in, in my life. As I strain towards knowing Jesus, being like Jesus, all that lies in front of me in Jesus, I try to overlook, to neglect uh, all that, that lies behind. 
It's not perhaps um, that sort of way of talking ourselves into thinking something didn't happen because it did, but it's about not giving it that place in our, our lives. Uh, the truth is the things that are sharpest in our minds are the things that we go over and over. That's why you guys are so busy revising at the moment. You, you, you read it often, you tell yourself it often, and it gets stuck in there. And Paul says, I'm, I'm trying to neglect it. I'm trying to let it go. I'm trying to forget what lies behind. I don't know if there's any fans here today of Mikhail um, Bobachov, I think his name is. That's how I've chosen to pronounce it. Anyway, uh, he's a, a Russian sculptor. Any fans of Mikhail in? No, I, d I didn't think so somehow. Uh, he's, um, he's hard at work uh, at the moment sculpting his, his New Year sculpture. He does one every year. Uh, this year, apparently, I think is the year of the rat or the mouse, is it? don't know. Uh, and so he's, he's busy making his sculpture there. Uh, anybody know what his sculptures are, are made out of? If I tell you that he's a farmer, you might be able to guess what it's made out of. He likes to recycle animal waste, we'll call it, in a very specific way. And then when the spring comes, it melts down and is naturally re-fertilizing the land. Uh, and he's made a whole bunch of these. Uh, famously, he made one of the Year of the Lion last year and wanted to donate it. And rather unsurprisingly, it was, it was turned down by the uh, Chinese consul. Didn't, didn't want it, strangely enough. And I love what Paul writes here as he looks back at his life to meeting Jesus. And he writes passionately about reasons why in the human nature, in, in the flesh, he could justifiably be proud of his past. He's the right pedigree. He's even born on the right day of the week. I mean, you look at the rest of his life, and you looked up the word religious in a dictionary, you'd have a picture of Paul kept it all faultlessly, flawlessly. Couldn't knock him on his passion level either. As soon as this new sect, the her heretical guy saying Jesus was God arrives, he goes after them, gets permission to round him up, arrest him and, and kill him. There's nobody less passionate than Paul. But when he meets Jesus himself, realizes who he is and what he's done for him, he says, the life I was crafting and sculpting and making for myself, he says, as I look at that now, compared to knowing Jesus, I consider it garbage. We'll use the word garbage. Paul doesn't. Paul uses the word that those sculptures are made out of. Literally in the Greek, that's what he calls it. It's a pile of dung. All of that compared with just this, just this, knowing Jesus. Worthless, fruitless, pointless, waste compared to knowing Jesus. And for that, Paul says, I want to forget it all. I want to leave it all behind. I want to shed it all. And the truth is that, that you and I can't shed it, can we? We can't just erase it. it. It's there. It happened. Whatever that is for you, whatever that looks like in your life. But knowing Jesus and all that he's done for us on the cross, all of it, all of it can be forgiven. 
And we don't have the ability to forget, but there is one who can. God says throughout the scriptures, I will remember your sins no more. I'll throw them into the heart of the sea. We need to learn to let go. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Sometimes the hardest things to let go are not what other people did, but what you did. Paul says, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm leaving it now. As we start this new year together, what's the one thing? What's the first thing? Let it go. Let it go. And we don't just let go. Then there's a need to strain towards what lies ahead. Uh, Paul's uh, words here from the Greek uh, talk about laying hold of something, literally stretching out as far as you can to grasp something. We let go in order to, to grasp. Uh, I was uh, reading in the, the news this week about the Queen God bless your mom. Uh, she was uh, offered an award this week. I don't know if you saw this story. Uh, any subscribers here to the Oldie magazine? If you really want to impress people this time of year, buy them a subscription to the Oldie magazine. Apparently, every year, uh, there are Oldie awards. And they wanted to give the Queen an Oldie award. I mean, she is, what, 95, 95. Uh, and still working, still going. And so they wanted to give her this award. But her personal press secretary wrote back and said, thank you for nominating me. But really, you're only as old as you feel. And so I don't feel I can accept the award. Hopefully, you can get a more worthy recipient. She looked at it and said, old? <laughs> I'm going on. I'm, I'm pressing on. And much to Prince Charles's delight, she doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon, does she? She's straining on. Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul says, or have already arrived at my goal. Over the years, I think one of the lessons I've learned time and time again is if you want to kill your progress, just think you've arrived. You see it time and time again, don't you, in, in ourselves and, and in others, people who think they, they, they know it all, but they're there. And that's the very thing that creates the kind of blind spots that leads to error and failure and stumbling. Paul says, I, I want to avoid that trap. I have not already obtained all this. I've, I'm not there yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And Paul says, I, I want to make the most of all that Jesus has done for us. I wonder sometimes in the Christian life if we kind of go almost halfway with Jesus. We, we meet him at the cross uh, and we get the past sort of dealt with and, and sorted. But are we, are we pressing on? Are we straining towards what is ahead? Are we seeking to make the most of the grace that's been given to us, of the spirit that's been given to us, of the future that we have, the, the hours that are left on this planet? Are we straining towards what lies ahead? 
I press on. And that might be something for us to lay hold of today, just those three words. I press on. I'm not perfect, but I press on. The true mark of a Christian disciple is not perfection. Read it. It's not. But it is progress. I press on. I'm not the person yet that I want to be, but I press on. I'm not living in that relationship with Jesus fully that I want to yet, but I, I press on. Uh, maybe for us, some of us here today in, in school, I'm, I, I'm not yet representing Jesus in the way that I want to with my friends, but I'm, I'm pressing on. Maybe for some of us in our families or, or our marriages, we, th- th- there are times when we're very un-Christ-like, but, but we're pressing on. Some of us, as we look back over this past year, there may be seasons where we've been quite prayerless, quite, quite faithless, but we are pressing on. And time and time again, there will be a need to come back to the cross, won't there? To let go again and to press on. And whatever it is that the Lord has put in front of you to lay hold of, it'll take pressing on. It'll take work, straining towards. I don't know if any of you got a nice new pair of these for Christmas. Anybody got some nice new slippers? Yeah, they look lovely, don't they? And it's easy at times, isn't it, in the Christian life? Put on a pair of slippers, and this isn't just for people at home that are watching with their feet up, but it's for all of us. It's easy, isn't it, for following Jesus to become a leisurely Sunday morning stroll. Paul talks about straining, reaching, pressing. And yet, I recognize in my own life, there are these cycles of settling, of being quite content, quite comfortable where I am. It's a little bit like the um, time in the Old Testament, isn't it, when God sends Moses into Egypt. Uh, Something we're going to be studying in our evenings from from next Sunday onwards. Uh, And God God sends Moses in with a very simple message for Pharaoh, let my people go. And there is this intense battle, there are these plagues, there's the, the will of Pharaoh and the will of God bashing up against each other, and then eventually the will of Pharaoh breaks and the people are, are set free. And they spend the next 40 years of freedom meandering around the sands of the desert. They knew what they'd been freed from, but they weren't yet clear what they'd been freed for. And I wonder sometimes if we spend so long thinking about what we've been saved from, and hardly any time at all thinking about what we've been saved for. There is so much to discover of Jesus, of his spirit, of his will, of his mission. Don't settle. Don't do it the death of our growth, the death of our progress. When we think we're there, we're not. It's in front of us, but it'll it'll take a straining towards uh, to reach it. One of the um, bizarre things that happened this year, I don't know if it happened to you, uh, is that a a whole bunch of people got a letter in the post explaining that their energy company 
had gone into liquidation. Did this happen to anybody? And suddenly now a new energy supplier uh, was going to be supplying your electricity. It's a, a bizarre thing to happen, isn't it? But it seems to be happening quite a lot to quite a number of, of companies at, at the moment. And as well as Paul's passion here, uh, we also see a new power at work, a resurrection power. See, maybe some of us today are, are thinking, strain towards. I, I'm not sure I could make much more effort. You know, I, don't think I don't know if I've got any more time. I don't know if I've got any more ounce of strength left in me. Or maybe some of us today are thinking, strain. John, I've, I've tried to change. I've tried to be different. I've tried to be closer. I've tried to be stronger, and yet I'm here again. What Paul is, is not telling us to do is, is to put your best effort in, your best foot forward. He's talking about a new energy supplier, a new power that's at work. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul doesn't duck from this. You cannot have resurrection without death first. You cannot hope to follow Jesus into newness of life unless we're willing to follow him to the cross, to die to who we were, to die to our old self, but... After that, there is a new energy, a new power at work. The power, Paul says, of his resurrection. He's talking about you. If you're following Jesus, then these words are for you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I'm just going to say that again because it didn't seem to land anywhere. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Ah, landed, good. See, what Paul is talking about in this passage is a sort of a versus, it's an either or, it's a, it, it, it's a battle. He's talking about trying to do things in our own strength. A, a, a phrase that uh, Paul often uses is, is in the flesh, human effort, a human straining. And he, he sort of compares that to following Jesus and knowing the power of his resurrection. And it's like Paul wants to shake us and say, why would you do it in your strength? When there is resurrection power that can flow through you and flow in you. I've been trying to think of a, a picture of this, and, and all illustrations really fall short, but, but here's one for you. You know when you're watching whales play rugby, and they're going through the phases, just being knocked back. You know, the line is moving forward inch by inch, but everyone's getting tackled, and everyone just looks exhausted. And then you sometimes get the wide-angle shot, and there's those boys on the wing going, give me the ball. 
how many times in our lives are we getting knocked back and knocked back and knocked back? And seriously, Jesus is there going, pass it to me. Give it to me. I can do this. He can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is not about trying harder or coming up with some new scheme or routine or patented habits might be part of, of what lies ahead of you this year. But it's not about just trying harder. It's actually about just letting him in, leaning in to his strength, to his power uh, that is waiting to burst out to break through resurrection power in those places where I feel dead inside. Those times I feel numb. There just isn't a heartbeat down there. Resurrection power. Those times when towards somebody I'm just cold, I'm just distant. They're dead to me. Resurrection power. Those times when if I'm honest, I look at my passion or my progress and I just can't see it. Resurrection power. I can't rouse myself, I can't raise the dead, but he can. He's crying out to us, pass it to me. Let me take it, let me do it. Uh, this guy's name is uh, Tim Davis, and uh, he heads up something called uh, Pure Heart Ministries. Uh, he was a soldier in the army, uh, a Navy SEAL in America. Uh, and um, he says that in that world at the time, uh, pornography was rife. And a lot of people were viewing stuff, sharing stuff, talking about stuff, just, just part of the culture. And, and he fell into it. He'd been raised to go to church. He'd been raised to, to believe in God. And he certainly did. But just being in this environment, he just picked up a whole bunch of stuff, a way of looking at women, uh, a way of um, treating himself and, and his body, uh, he became addicted to pornography. Literally, he, he needed it to relax, uh, just to sort of relieve himself. He, he just needed it. He was totally addicted to it. His, his life revolved around the next time. Uh, and then he, in church one Sunday, uh, meets somebody and, and gets married. And one of his reasons for starting Pure Heart Ministries was he said, the truth was, I just treated my wife like one of the women I'd been viewing, and porn addiction just became sex addiction. And this was his life. It was just this sort of, in the end, joyless need, this joyless drive, uh, and was completely lost. And one day as he was praying about this and just weeping, just the, the shame of it all, it's funny, isn't it, that the guilt alone wasn't enough to bring change. He needed a power outside of himself. And he just said to God, I am tired of trying. Got no strength left in me to change. And this little phrase landed in his heart, then why don't you give it to me and let me do it? And he found in Jesus a strength to break chains that had been with him since a teenager. For years of his life started to fall off and Yes, it took, he had to participate in that. He had to collaborate with the Holy Spirit. It took talking to others, but he found a way to freedom. And now he helps people all over the world find that path to freedom, pure heart, ministries. And he says that for that addiction and for any other addiction, 
when you need a power outside of yourself. There is no greater power than Jesus' power. And I want to say to all of us today, whatever it is that gets entwined, that tangles up, that weighs us down, that holds us back, Jesus can break it. Only Jesus can break it. And maybe today, as we sang together at the start of a new year, he brought you here just to say to you, give it to me. Let me take it. Let me break it. Because see, if Jesus takes it to his tomb, it's not coming out. Let go. Lay hold and lean into. Let's just pray together for a moment.